I want to challenge you this evening to grab your Bible and turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. We'll be there in just a minute. As we continue the series we've been in on Sunday nights entitled Unshakable Faith. I normally don't go home on Sunday afternoons and definitely normally don't turn on the television, but for whatever reason, both of those things happen today. And, and I saw just a little bit of a news clip, and, and you don't have to watch very long for you to feel like, man, things are shaken up. I mean, you see war, you see political turmoil, you see disease, you see all kinds of things, and, and it doesn't seem to be a very far stretch of our minds to to see the upheaval that many around us are feeling and they talk about. But we've been looking the last couple of weeks about how we can have an unshakable faith. No matter what comes at us, no matter what storm we find ourselves in, no matter what day we find ourselves being alive or what situation we've been placed in, we can have a foundation. There is a rock, there is an unshakable faith that we can have in Jesus Christ. One of the most cherished blessings God has given each of us is the freedom to make our own decisions. We often take that for granted in our free democracy like the United States, but if you lived in another country today, you would have a much greater appreciation, I'm sure, for the freedom that we have when it comes to making our choices and even electing our leaders. And tonight I want to talk about how we can count on the freedom to choose. And, and before we dive into what God's Word has to say, I've got some four manly, very strong helpers that are going to help me tonight. Come on up, men. That's you. Come on over, guys. Come on over. And uh, thank you, guys. Here we go. Two for you. Very good. Two for you. One for you. One for you, very good. If you have one, why don't you go on the far sides for me. If you have two, go right down the middle. And uh, Oh, 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 hold on, hold on. You're so strong, you're, you're taking them away. Just go down the middle, and you take this side, and you take this side. I want everybody to have one of these pamphlets. And uh, as they pass them out, go for it, guys. You can pass them out. If, if they're breathing, give them one. If they've stopped breathing, they don't have to take one. So uh, everybody who's breathing, I want you to have one of these. Uh, this is... Something that we'll talk about next week, uh, we'll make available for the next two weeks, but when we talk about our freedom to choose, uh, one of the uh, rights and privileges and responsibilities, if you will, that we have is to make choices in electing our leaders. And this is just a tool to be of help to you. Uh, I challenge you to vote how you feel God is leading you to vote. Uh, We're told that in elections like this year, uh, when there's not certain people or positions or certain items on the ballot, that the history shows us that the turnout for voting is really, really low. Well, that can only be a blessing for us because if if we would see the God-given responsibility and privilege to, to make our own choice, we can have an even greater impact on helping select our leaders around us. Now, as I challenged you. I encourage you to vote the way God is leading you. Or as a friend told me this morning, vote the Bible. But sometimes that can get a little bit hard when you go, I haven't prayed about it, but I don't know a whole lot. This has been provided for you by a a good Christian organization. And what I want you to see as you open it up, uh, as you open it up in the top left-hand corner, it lists eight issues. And to help you navigate this guide, It talks about some issues that are important to us as Christians, such as the first issue, support continued freedom for churches and ministries. 
That's number one. And so throughout this list, you'll see column one. It, it lets you know how these potential leaders have responded to a questionnaire. It's their own response. And, and a check mark means that they have responded in a very positive yes and support. A blank means that they've either said no or they did not respond to the survey. So to be fair, they may not have responded to the survey. Or maybe their answer, sometimes, as our politicians, it, we're not quite sure. And so that was left blank. So if it wasn't a clear yes um, or if it was a no or if they did not respond, it was blank to help you with that. But you can kind of look through these columns. Uh, the second one, support continued freedom for churches uh, and their ministries from taxation. The, the third uh, opposes expansion of cas- casino gambling. And the fourth deals with the marriage amendment, uh, support uh, giving citizens the right to vote on a marriage amendment to the Indiana Constitution to protect marriage between one man and one woman. That could be coming up in 2016. And, and it goes on and on. And I don't highlight those four because they're more important than the others. But for the sake of time tonight, as you look through those issues, you can begin to see uh, how this has been pulled together for you. Now, hear me clearly. This is not a mandate from me to tell you how to vote. My challenge to you is exercise the responsibility and the privilege that God has given to us and the freedom to make our own choices. And one in our country we've been given is to make the choice to elect those who are leading us. I challenge you, don't let this election go by where you say, well, it's not that big of an election. I'm just going to take some time off. You can compound, you can have an exponential impact if you would encourage others to join with you and vote the way they feel God is leading them to vote. Now, I've given this to you tonight, and guess what? This one's not for you. Uh, Sunday morning, uh, you'll get another one. In fact, all of us will get one of these, but I just felt prompted tonight, specifically because of the message that we're looking at. This is for you to pray about and, and give to a friend. You're not telling them how to vote. You're not trying to persuade them one way or the other. You're just saying, hey, I believe you love Jesus. I want to challenge you. Check this out. If this could be a help to you. I am told, as I read here at the the top, this is legal for you to take in with you. Uh, If you're like me, you ain't got that good of a memory. And I'm going to forget on some of them. And so you can take this with you. Um, It's not a partisan guide. In fact, you'll see that it's not even listing specifically what uh, parties always that they are a part of. I believe that's that's correct. Um, You can take this with you uh, to help you if you would like. But as, as much as things like this are helpful for us when we see our freedom to choose and to elect our leaders, there's a much more personal and profound freedom, more than political freedom, it's the freedom that God has given each of us, every human being that is responsible for the freedom to set the course of our lives by the decisions that we make. Yes, God is sovereign, and he knows everything of how it's going to turn out, but yet he has still chosen to limit his sovereignty, his sovereign will over you and over me by granting you and I the freedom to make our own decisions. You made the decision to come to church tonight. You weren't forced or coerced. Well, most of us weren't. Maybe mom and dad said you had to come. But most of us in this room, you made the choice yourself to be here tonight. In the same way, God won't impose his will upon you because he loves you. He never forces or imposes it on you. He invites you to follow him. He invites you to make the choice to follow his leading. So the good news 
that we're going to look at tonight is how you and I can count on the freedom to choose. Now, this may seem a little bit strange. What does this have to do with an unshakable faith? What does this have to do with having a foundation in tough times? The challenge we have is no matter what winds are blowing, no matter what storm you're in, no matter what political climate you find yourself in, you and I have the freedom to choose. We can choose to shout joy, as Pastor Edgar led us in. We can choose to praise God. We can choose to be dependent on Him, or we can choose to curse God. We can choose to take the negative. We can choose to waller in self-pity. God didn't create us to be pre-programmed robots. He created us to share in his love. And that love requires freedom, freedom to make our own choices. And that's the good news that we can look at tonight. The bad news is that you and I are born spiritually blind. We cannot see which way to go, and, and we're helpless to make the right decisions in life. And now, we may sometimes feel confident in decisions we make, but we are born spiritually blind, and, and without some help from someone else, we will ultimately make very poor decisions in our life. But when we begin to see that God has given us a guide, last week we learned about a guide that he's given to us in the Holy Spirit, he will help us if we allow him to speak into our life on the decisions that we make. That's why we're learning how to listen and how to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit, how it's so critical and, and necessary for successfully navigating through the shaky times of life. He is the one who reminds us of the things we can count on during times like what we live in today. So in midstream of his letter, Pastor John in 1 John chapter 2, reminds us of three certainties that we can anchor our choices in. I want to look at these first three certainties that can help us anchor our choices. First John chapter 2, verse 12. The first is, is here. I'm writing to you, my dear children, because your sins have been forgiven because of Jesus. We talked about this grace gift this morning. The really good news is I cannot forget, I must never forget, that I can count on forgiveness in Jesus' name. A certainty that can anchor the way we make our decisions. I'm making my decision. I'm exercising my responsibility to choose from the certainty that I can count on God's forgiveness. While I'm born spiritually blind, while I left to my own devices, am a deprived man, with the grace of Jesus in my life, I can count on his forgiveness. In a world of red ink and budget deficits and foreclosures and For those who place their trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, the news of the debt of our sin being canceled, being paid in full, is one that is a welcomed gift from the Father. You and I are forgiven, and that's worth remembering, worth reminding ourselves today. The second anchor we find in verse 13. John says, I am writing to you who are mature because you know Christ The one who is from the beginning. And we see John repeats it again in the next verse, verse 14. I have written to you, children, because you have known the Father. You and I can count on the certainty, count on knowing God personally. This is going to affect the way we make decisions. It's going to affect our freedom to choose, counting on the forgiveness in Jesus' name, counting on knowing God personally. Finally, Pastor John reminds us of the third certainty in the last part, 
of these verses, I am writing to you who are young because you have won your battle with Satan. And in verse 14, I have written to you who are young because you are strong with God's word living in your hearts and you have won the battle with Satan. We learned a few weeks ago that that we can count on victory over Satan. There is an anchor to the way we make our choices, knowing that we are, one, counting on forgiveness in Jesus' name, two, counting on knowing God personally, and also counting on victory over Satan. Those are three great anchors for an unshakable life. Now, Pastor John, in his letter, moves on, and he tells us and and understands that life isn't static. It doesn't just stay still. It's ever-changing, and it's constantly calling for us to make new decisions. Every day there's decisions that are required of us. So he offers us a principle to govern our choices. Let's look at a principle he gives to us in verse 15. Stop loving this evil world and all that it has to offer you, for when you love the world, you show that you do not hate the love of the you do not have rather the love of the Father in you. Stop loving this evil world and all that it has to offer you. For when you love the world, you show that you do not have the love of the Father in you. What is John saying to us here? It sounds like it's a contradiction. Is what we find elsewhere when he says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And God loved the world, but here he commands us not to love the world. How does this square? Well, let me try to help us with that. In John 3.16, God is the subject, and the world is the object of his love. In other words, God loves every individual in the world. But just as much as, much as God loves you and me, he hates sin. He hates the worldly spirit. Here in 1 John 2.15, you are the subject, and the world is the object So the command is to stop focusing our love, our affection on this worldly system of values and worldly system of things. See, there are basically two realities. God and his reality and the world and the world's reality. So the guiding principle that John is laying out for us here is is this. Love God's reality more than the world's reality. Be in love with the things of God more than being in love with the things of the world. To help us, a principle to govern our choices, we need to ask ourselves, am I more in love with the things of God, or am I more in love with the things of the world? Jesus framed the same principle in a positive way. Listen to the message paraphrase of Matthew 6.33. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. The words of Jesus. Here's how this principle works out in life. When you and I are facing a decision to buy something or to go somewhere to do something, we need to run it through this filter. Ask yourself this question. Is this decision I'm going to make, is it going to lead me to loving God more or loving the world or the world systems more? If I make decision A, will I love God more? If I make decision B, will I love God more? It's a It's a principle to help us govern the the freedom that God has given to us and how we make our decisions. Now, this is counterintuitive because our natural fallen tendency is to gravitate towards loving the world and the world system. 
In fact, if you're facing a decision and, and you're not sure which way to go and, and you're not always sure possibly about what one will help you love God more, sometimes it's advisable to, to think about what would the world tell you to do and do just the exact opposite. What is the popular thing that everybody else would do and do the exact opposite? Because often we find that the world system is a stark opposite. It's in stark contrast to what God is calling us to do. What is it that helps you make your decision? He talks about what is worldly in verse 16. For the world offers only the lust for physical pleasure, the lust for everything we see, and the pride in our possessions. These are not from the Father. They are from this evil world. So let's break down this verse into uh, three questions to help guide our choices. So we've looked at a principle to govern our choices. We've looked at some things that anchor us in making our decisions. But now, uh, Pastor John is going to give us three questions to guide our choices. The first is, is this. What am I, what are you passionate about? For the world offers only the lust for physical pleasure. What are you passionate about? What really excites you? What raises your blood pressure when you think about it? What revs your engine? The question is not what you want to be passionate about, or what you'd like to be into, but what is it that you're really into? What preoccupies your mind? What preoccupies your attention? Notice that he doesn't say that physical pleasure is worldly, only the lust for physical pleasure. Now, now lust is a twisting, it's a perversion of something that God has created. You know, Satan is not creative. He can't make anything. He can just take what God has created, what God has made, and he can twist it. He can bring a perverse view of that. So sexual sin is a perversion of what God has given in the context of marriage. Sex inside of marriage is a beautiful thing that God has given. Sex outside of marriage is a sin. It's a perversion of God's gift. The ability to speak and communicate together and and speak the truth is a gift from God. He's given us a tongue. He's given us an ability to talk with one another. And speech is, is a blessing. But when we use our tongue to lash out in gossip... Or to speak falsehoods, speak lies. Satan has twisted our ability to communicate and has caused us to fall into the trap of sin. What is it that you and I are passionate about? When I'm making a decision, what can guide me in these choices is looking at where is my passion lying? When Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God, they forfeited their God-given authority to rule over the earth. And it was given to Satan. So he is the ruler of this fallen, evil world for now. He is the master at taking what God has made and he has twisted it and perverted it for his own evil ends. So when you and I are making decisions in life, you've got to make sure that your passions are governed by God, not the world's lust. So as you make your decision, it's not that you shouldn't be passionate about physical things, but is there a lust, is there a perversion is there a twisting of where your passion is and what gets you excited for example that's what john is saying here today your passion and my passion needs to be lined up with what it is that god has 
think for a minute about the things that you're passionate about in your life. Most of the time, not all the time, most of the time, they could be a blessing. You could be passionate about sports. You could be passionate about your job. You could be passionate about your kids or your grandkids. All those things are good. Some of those things are necessary. But any of those things, out of proportion, if that's where my passion is, and it's so much more passion than what I have for God, Satan can twist that and he can make sports the idol of my life. He can make my job something that somehow I get a sick, perverse thought that it's a compliment if someone would refer to me as a workaholic. Friend, don't ever refer to yourself as a workaholic. When we talk about an alcoholic, they are addicted to alcohol, and a workaholic is addicted to work. Now, talk about a, a good work ethic. Talk about a strong work ethic. That's, this is from God, but to be a workaholic, if I am addicted, if I'm a slave to my work, I must to be a slave only to one thing, one person, and that is God. And so this taking off course is something that John says, hey, hey, Ask yourself the question, what are you passionate about? And is there a, a lust of the world in that, or is it a healthy passion as we make our decision? It's all about meeting our needs, or is it meeting our greeds? There is a second worldly attitude that John mentions in verse 16. That's the lust for everything else. Ask yourself the question with me, what do I value? What am I passionate about, and what do I value? This is a deeper question still. We, we feel deeply about things and people that we value the most. This is what you long to see, what you want others to see in you. Often we, we live in a culture that's addicted to image and, and what we want to portray. And, and what is it that we, we value, that we hold dear? One sure way to find out what we value is to look at what you spend your time and your talent and your treasure on what is it that you invest yourself in will tell you about what you value what's most important to you your kingdom or god's kingdom what's more important to you your acceptance or your acceptance by others or your acceptance by god ask yourself the third question that we find a worldly heart attitude in verse 16. And the pride in our possessions. What do I take pride in? As I'm making a decision, what it is that I'm most proud of? Am I most proud of a possession? Am I most proud of a relationship? Am I most proud of where does my pride lie? Am I valuing? Am I excited about? Am I holding my pride, my deep sense of worth in the things of God or something else? Selfish pride is a narcotic. It's a false mood changer. You can find yourself when, when you hold on to that object or that relationship or that person or you gain that thing or that certain someone, you begin to have this false mood changer. And, and God wants us to see, hey, where is your values at? So as we review, what do I get excited about? What do I value? What do I take pride in? If the honest answer to those questions is, is the world system, then you will face the shaking that the world brings. But if your answer to those questions is, I value the things of God more than the things of the world, we can have a stabilizing force as we make decisions, even in the ever-changing world around us. As we look at verse 17, Pastor John 
gives us some ideas of the reward for making right choices. Let's look at that. And this world is fading away, along with everything it craves. But if you do the will of God, you will live forever. And jot this down. The reward for choosing a godly system over the world system when we make choices is a life unshakable and eternal. He won't force you, but you have the freedom to choose a life that is unshakable and a life that is eternal. He didn't say a life that is comfortable, a life that gives us everything that we want, but a life that is unshakable and a life that is eternal in Him. That's the promise that God has given to us. We've looked at it the last couple of weeks. We touched on it from Hebrews 12, 28. Let me share with us again this same passage. Hebrews 12, 28. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping Him with holy fear and awe. The all-important question I want to leave you with Tonight is this, which kingdom are you investing in? God's kingdom or the world's? Now be honest with yourself. Make no mistake. Loving the world will will give you a buzz. It will give you a joy for a moment, for a season. Satan will drive a hard bargain. He will will give you some of the things that you desire up front, but, but his kingdom, the world system will always take more from you than what is given to you. Every time, every situation, every person, every generation, it happens time and time again. But when you choose the kingdom of God, he will always give more to you than what he's calling you to surrender. Case in point, what we talked about this morning, the grace of God calls us through that side effect of grace to surrender our life and obedience to him. It costs us something. It costs us our life in obedience. But make no mistake, we are by far the beneficiaries of something far greater than what it is we are giving to him in a life of obedience. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life, Jesus says, eternal life, life more abundant. John 10.10. You and I, friend, have a choice today. It's a choice between two kingdoms, between two realities. Every decision we make is either leading us to death and destruction or life and health. You are either governed by a self-absorbed system of the fallen world or a Christ-centered kingdom of heaven. God has done everything he can short of invading the God-given freedom he has placed in you to choose. He's done everything he can except take away your free will. He's come right up to say, I will help you. I will guide you. I will walk with you to make the right choice. But I must remind you that not only is God wanting to help you, Satan is doing everything he can to keep you from making the right choices. The bottom line is we have a tremendous freedom and privilege to choose. We have the freedom to choose in an election coming up. And that is very important. And I challenge you to pray for, prayerfully consider how God would call you to cast your ballot. But you have an election tonight of what you choose to do. You have an election tomorrow. In fact, every moment of every day, you are casting a ballot of your support for what it is in your life that God is placing before you. You don't have to mastermind it. 
You don't have to fret. He has given you something even better than a voter guide. He's given you the one and only spirit guide in the Holy Spirit. My challenge is that you join God in the unshakable faith that he's calling us to live in. That we don't have to shrink back in times like this. We don't have to wring our hands in fear of what's going to happen. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But we can't claim that foundation if we don't make the choice to follow his leading. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the very encouraging words you've given to us through John. Lord, I thank you that you are our constant. While the grass withers and the flowers fall, you and your word stands forever. Lord, in that passage, you tell us how people are like the grass. They're fickle. They go back and forth. Our culture goes back and forth. But you are the constant that doesn't go out of style, that doesn't go out of date, that's not obsolete. You are as relevant, as powerful, as real today as you have ever been. And God, thank you for inviting us in, giving us the freedom to choose you day in and day out. I confess again, Father, for myself and for my brothers and sisters, we are blinded spiritually without you. We make bad decisions without you. And so we invite your spirit to guide us. Thank you for the unshakable faith that we can have in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.